All right, check this out. Check this out. Our Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he broke it, he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. And in the same way, after supper, he took a cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to them. And he said, drink of this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Okay, now I bet something just happened here. I bet for those of you who grew up in church world, especially the Liturgialand section of church world, something happened. I bet that as soon as I began saying those words, there was a certain mental switch that got flipped. And what you did is you shifted into what is commonly known as communion mode, right? You hear the words and a mental shift happened that you're really not so much even listening to the content of the words as much as you're going, oh, now it's time for communion. Oh, that's weird. Oh, we only sang two songs. Oh, why are we doing it now? And this whole mental spiral kind of happened right there for those of you who who have been steeped in this thing called church world. Now, for those of you who are new to this today, new to Christianity, new to church world, you are at an advantage right now. Because my bet is that for you, you actually heard what I was saying. Be careful. Spend too much time in a place like this, and you can stop hearing what Jesus actually has to say. Because for those of us who have been immersed in this thing, this practice called communion, we know that that little phrase that I just said is what every church says from the dawn of time to the day he comes again to set it up, right? It reminds me of going into a wedding. And they always say at the beginning, dearly beloved, we are gathered here in the sight of God and of these witnesses, and no one's listening. You just know it's introductory material to get on to the good stuff. And so what those words become is kind of like a spell. It's an incantation, not so much the content of what's being said, but say this stuff to kind of make something happen or set up the next step depending on what your view of this meal might be. But the point being that for most of us, I'm right, aren't I? A switch was flipped and we miss what Jesus is getting at. And of course, the historic church hasn't helped. Liturgies build this time of the service up with all kind of bells and genuflecting and chanting and and things. Some churches insisted even on saying it in Latin, the true magic of languages, completely masking what was said, all in the essence of creating the spell. And yet very few take note that what I'm doing is just quoting Paul who's doing nothing more than just summarizing something Jesus did and something Jesus said, not so much to create or cast a spell, but to convey information about something very significant that was about to take place. 
See, we've been talking these last few weeks about why Jesus died. Specifically, why God sent his son to die. Like, what did it accomplish? What did it do? What are the theological reasons beside, behind the historic reasons? What did it affect for us and for this world? And what I love is that the, the New Testament is not monolithic in its answer. It gives different perspectives, different pictures, and different insights that show that when Jesus died on this cross, it did all kinds of things and worked, can I put it that way, for all kinds of reasons. But the prevailing one that you see from Jesus' lips himself is tied into what stands behind those words that I just said, take and eat, this is my body, take and drink, this is my blood. What is he getting at And what we see from Jesus' lips is above all things, he ties his own death to this thing called the Passover. All four Gospels are over-the-top explicit in showing that when Jesus died, it was in conjunction with the Passover. The first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, called the synoptics because they kind of see it the same way, are explicit that Jesus even identifies himself with the Passover meal. But it's more than that. You see this throughout the New Testament. I like what John the Baptist has to say. The first time he sees Jesus coming his way, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of of the world because this meal that Jesus was celebrating with his disciples on the night he was betrayed before he died was a Passover meal and the Passover meal did not consist of a Dixie cup of wine and a small stale cracker it was lamb with herbs bitter ones with wine and unleavened bread And for centuries, Israel had been commanded to keep this feast, this celebration that was meant to remember God's great act of deliverance from way back when. And here he is sharing this meal, identifying himself with this meal, which is identified with the deliverance of God. If you don't know Passover, this doesn't make sense. And if you don't know Passover you just might miss the fullness and richness of what it means to say that Jesus died for our sins. So let me tell you the story today. The story of Passover. I mentioned it last week. You can find it in the Bible in a book called Exodus, specifically chapters 1 through 12. I encouraged you last week, I'll encourage you again. If you don't know the story, read it for yourself. It'll take you at most 15 minutes. And it reads like an action movie. Or maybe a novel. But what the story is about is God seeing his people Israel enslaved by the superpower of the day, the unbreakable power of its day, a power known as Egypt. 
And God seeing his people in slavery, in misery, enacting a giant rescue operation to break the power of Egypt and free and deliver his people. Now, the heartbeat of this story is a series of attacks or a series of plagues, as they get to be known, that God starts sending Egypt's way. Egypt is fighting to keep their slaves. Egypt is fighting to keep hold of the people of God. And God comes again and again with forward assault after forward assault, trying to break Egypt's resolve, trying to smash the power that be, escalating each attack, 10 in total, that God sends wave after wave after wave trying to convince, to show the people of Egypt who the true superpower of the universe is. And the final wave, the final attack, plague if you do church speak, revolves around this, this thing that John is getting at, this, this meal that we're about to eat. It revolves around this final plague when God sends an angel, an angel of death, to give the final climactic assault against Egypt. Let me read it to you today. From Exodus chapter 11. Now Yahweh had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. For the Lord had made the Egyptians favorable toward the people, and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says, about midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been and worse than there ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any man or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, Go, go, you and all your people who follow you. And after that I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. The Lord had said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let Israel go out of the country. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month. 
the first month of your year, tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animal you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, interestingly, the day the gospel say Jesus died when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roasted over the fire, head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left, you must burn it. And this is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am Yahweh. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. The final wave was coming. And the hand of God escalated against the power of Egypt to shake the resolve of Pharaoh and the people to let his people go. And the Israelites are warned. When God comes in, there will be no discrimination. The angel of death will sweep through. So take a lamb, find a lamb, and slaughter it. And paint its blood on the doorposts of your house. So that when the avenger comes through, you and your people will be spared. He will pass over you. And for centuries, the people of Israel remembered the day that God passed over them. With this final wave of destruction, upon Egypt and this final act of deliverance for them. And here we find Jesus on the night of the Passover sitting with his disciples sharing that meal saying things as they eat it and remember all that it signifies things like take and eat. This is my body given for you. Take and drink. This is my blood shed for you. Behold the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sins of the world. See, the thing with Passover is that as much as God made distinction, God doesn't make distinction. As much as the storyline is about the salvation of Israel from the power of Egypt, when that angel comes in, no distinction is made. God is, well, I like how it's put, is an equal opportunity judger. Israel might not have been enslaving a people. But Israel was equally guilty of the same kinds of idolatry, the same kinds of pride, the same kinds of rebellion against Yahweh, just manifested in different ways. And God is an equal opportunity judger. And when that angel comes in, out of his faithfulness to Israel, his love for Israel. He wants them protected. And so he orders them to slaughter a lamb on their behalf. And here we find Jesus identifying himself with this Passover lamb. Take and eat. This is my Body, take and drink. This is my blood shed for you to protect you, to cover you, to endure slaughter on your behalf. This is what this Passover meal is about. Because from one perspective, the Passover is about God delivering his people from Egypt. But from another perspective, the Passover is about God delivering his people from God. You know, things like wrath and judgment are not popular terms anymore, are they? Uh, Honestly, they never really were. It's a facet of God that I find makes people uncomfortable. They don't really know how to deal with it, especially if they come from a base and an understanding of God as this infinite source of of compassion and love. But I don't see any way to get around it. The Bible, the New Testament, is clear that that God will meet judgment out, even if he doesn't want to. But behold, a solution, a lamb, a lamb who is slaughtered on our behalf. Here's how Leviticus will put it. For the life of a creature is in the blood. 
and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. That God sent his son to die. To deliver our lives from judgment. And all of this is tucked in to what Jesus is saying when he shares that Passover meal. Slaughter me. Eat me. Paint the doorposts of your house in my blood. Because judgment is coming indiscriminately. And this will save you from the judgment deserved by your sin. And this is why Jesus died. And this is why we continue 2,000 years later to say those words and eat this meal. To remember. To remember that I deserve to be struck down too. But one in the greatest act of compassion and mercy went to slaughter on my behalf to save me from my sins. To those of you who call on Jesus' name, good news. By his death, God's wrath will pass over You will be saved. At least that's how Jesus understood it. So, in preparation for this, and in the gravity and weight of really what it means, and it's so often forgotten, isn't it? I'd like to invite you to rise. Band, if you'd like to come forward. I'd like you, if you're willing, to come to terms with the gravity and the weight of your own sin. The aspects of your own life deserving of God's judgment and wrath. If you're willing, I want to invite you rather than fighting God on it, arguing with God on it, rationalizing it, trying to downplay it, trying to mask it, trying to hide it, or trying to play the comparison game to hide behind those that you view as worse. To just come to him. Admit it to him. And rather than trying to find Passover and the good person you think you are to simply find it in the blood of a lamb instead.
So if you're willing, let's take a moment and let's just pray. For every act of cruelty, God, of selfishness, of greed, for the distorted thoughts and inclinations of our heart that drive us into darkness and rebellion. For the sexual immorality, for the filth of our language, for the meanness of spirit, for the continual envy, for the pride and the arrogance, for it all. Thank you for sending your lamb. For covering us, protecting us from your judgment and wrath. Soften our hearts, God, to see that we deserve it. May we not be like Pharaoh today, hardening our hearts against you, standing in opposition towards you, defiantly choosing our way over your path. Mold us. Mold us and conform us and transform us as you would have us be today. If you would, pray together with me. Merciful God, we do not claim to be without sin. We will not deceive ourselves. Let your truth be in us. We confess our sins. You are faithful and just. Forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We've been memorizing this phrase, God who is faithful and just, forgives us our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Listen to what he has to say. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus, the Christ, the righteous one, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world.